right, so good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Imperium Jet podcast. My name is Imperium, and I'm going to be your host. Uh, today, we have a very, very special guest. His name is John Gibbs from Savian Aerospace. John, good morning. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having me also. I appreciate, I appreciate you having on the show. Um, John, you built something truly amazing. You are building a company that is not going just to change how we see personal aviation, I'll say, but also you come in with a point of you want to change the, the fuel system as well on the aircraft. So you're building something really, really unique in this industry. And I just wanted to take the time and have it you maybe tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you guys are building. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So my name is John. I'm uh, an aviation geek, a resident aviation geek. So I was somebody who really got into airplanes at a very young age, um, probably I think maybe six or seven. I remember one of my friends kind of showed me a paper airplane book and kind of like after school thing when probably I was like kindergarten or maybe first grade. And then I think shortly after that, we had taken a trip. Up, up, we flew to visit uh, my mother's side of the family. And so I connected, you know, I think I connect the you know, idea of aviation with being able to see your friends and family. And so, you know, that was kind of my first little bit of intrigue. Um, maybe in Austin Elementary School, maybe I think it was like fourth or fifth grade. I, I went to a new school and I had to do a science project. Um, so a lot of kids did, you know, can the, can the plant grow in soda or water or whatever you put in it. And so I did mine on paper airplanes and it won the science fair. So well, I think that was the point. And it was a, you know, it was a big science fair. Um, you know, it was a private school in the DC area. So it was fairly yeah. you know, prestigious. So at the, and, and, and the school that I was going to was, you know, they were very impressed. Uh, so I, I think at that point I started to internalize the idea that this could be something I could do professionally. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I went to college. I actually wanted to be an airline pilot. I went to college. Um, my guidance counselor actually talked me into doing an engineering summer camp. I didn't really know what engineering was, but I did it and I ended up going to MIT, which is one of the best you know, schools for aerospace in the country. Yep. Um, and so that's kind of how my journey started. Um, my first job, it kind of explains why our building So our product is a two-passenger aircraft. Uh, it is completely remotely operated, just like an Air Force drone is. Mm -hmm. um, but you can get on it on demand and it's, and it's flown with natural gas. So natural gas is uh, the same stuff you cook your, your breakfast with out of your stove, uh, but it's a lot lighter. It does take up more space, um, but it's a dollar a gallon. So much, much cheaper than aviation wow. fuel. That, that's a kerosene. big, big difference. Right, and, and our reason for starting that was during my first job, uh, my, this is also true for my co-founder, You know, we were working on small improvements to the larger aircraft at Boeing um, and some of the new aircraft. So we were getting maybe let's say the 787 was 20% better over 20 years um, from the 767. Mm -hmm. uh, the price of it goes up by 100%, three or four times that amount, uh, and maybe 100 times that amount that you do in a year, you improve in a year. So we thought this is really crazy. Why are we work, why are we trying to still stick with oil, with kerosene or, or crude things that are employed by by OPEC in the crude based market? Uh, in truth, speculation is what really caused those spikes. Um, but you know it was very apparent that. The aviation industry didn't control its destiny. It was just at the mercy of oil prices. And so, yeah, that's what started the quest. Um, many moons later, you know, we really re we realized, so I was at DLR, which is uh, German Aerospace Center. 
um, Deutsche Institution for Left and Rampart. And in Europe, they're working on a project called Clean Sky 2, you know, with hybrid electric aircraft, um, mm -hmm. trying to make aviation green. Yep. They also had energy security motivations. But um, my contribution to that project, or at least my my professor asked me to do an informal contribution, and that was to assess the market share of the planes that they were designing. And they all had like zero market share uh, because even though they had lower fuel costs, their maintenance costs and their empty weights, therefore the aircraft cost of the planes themselves was way higher. And so none of those planes were ever actually sell in the marketplace. And I thought, oh my gosh, um, there has got to be a way to design a green aircraft that's gonna have a market disruption rather than you know kind of a greener yep. profile. Um, so Christensen had the theory of disruptive innovation. So I really tried to apply that in my dissertation work there. And we came up with this aircraft, the Savion jet. Uh, so two passengers, completely on demand, which is really the thing that people pay for. Yep. Just looking at uh, the price profile, a scheduled airline flights maybe averages 100 bucks per flight hour. Uh, a, a private jet charter, which may, has four seats, but it's usually one or two people, mm -hmm. starts around $3,000 per hour. So you've got to ask why someone's paying 10 times more, right? And they just love on-demand service. It might be the same reason why you might not take the bus, even though the bus is cheaper than an Uber, but you can afford the Uber, so you take the Uber, right? But it's just on a different scale. So we realized uh, we designed our aircraft based on willingness to pay. And we know what people are willing to pay for an airline ticket. We know what businesses are willing to pay to get an employee someplace. We made it the biggest, fastest aircraft we could make within that you know, cost uh, per seat mile. And deciding just what we came up with. So... That's what it is. You can you, you can book it on your phone. Um, you would go just like if you rented a Cessna, you would go to the airport and get in your Savion jet. Someone would help you. You would talk to the pilot on the screen. And then once you're buckled in and everything was you know verified to be safe. So the walk around happens with a video camera. Um, and then the pilot say, are you ready to go? And you would say, yeah. And then the pilot would taxi the plane out remotely from this via the satellite and fly it away. And by doing that, our, our, our cost of operating a private jet is about a third of what it is mm -hmm. um, in uh, real life. But that's still not cheap enough. So what we do is we have a membership program where you pay for the membership because it is a luxury. Um, and that gives you the time on the plane. That's yep. like actually paying for the plane. And then you pay for a, uh, the hourly cost that you spend. And that hourly cost that you pay for is actually quite cost competitive with flying on an airline. Like, what we're counting on is the same thing that I, you know, that happens with you know Ubers versus taking the bus. Like if you can afford this convenience, you'll probably pay for it. And once people realize that they can afford it and they realize how much more productive they'll be, uh, we expect it to have a very large chunk of the aviation industry switching to this kind of on-demand private jet travel um, at this price point, not at the expensive price points, but uh, at this price point. So. Yeah. So, so yeah, I hope that was some. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this was great. So basically, what I want to say is. It sounds like it's remind me like kind of the Elon Musk Tesla, but in a different <laughs> price in a different price point though. Um, but yeah, you you really trying to go, and you know, most most people when they come and want to rebuild the industry or they want to put some some new product into the market, they take something that is already existing and they change maybe one component of it and do some market testing, see how it goes, mm -hmm. and then they maybe mm -hmm. add something or remove something, just go with it. You guys decided to actually change everything um, <laughs> from the way they works to how the, to, to the walkarounds and and even to you know to the actual aircraft itself, a remote control aircraft. Like it's like being in a as you said at the, at the military drone, uh, the military aircraft. 
<laughs> uh, and, and how what is the range let's say let's say i want to fly let's say i'm taking off you, you guys are best in, in san francisco so let's say i want to fly from south from san francisco how far can i go so okay two great questions so i'll answer the, the range question first and i'll talk about what are we what are we changing yep. this is actually remarkably similar to an existing airplane um the range is about 1500 nautical miles so that's about a four-hour flight so you could go from chicago Sorry, San Francisco to Chicago nonstop. Wow. Um, what we found, though, when we talked to business travelers is that the coast-to-coast trip -coast is really important. Um, so we do that with one stop. So that's San Francisco to New York, D.C., uh, Boston, uh, you know, Florida, one stop. And inside the airplane, we have just two seats, but they're lie-flat seats. You can actually go to sleep in the plane like you would on a first-class, you know, international flight. And then there's a laboratory in the back. So... So we paid for a lot, and the last thing I think was really important, and we debate a lot internally, is we have a stand-up cabin. So you can actually, it's, the cabin is six feet tall, which wow. is about 30% taller than most very light jet cabins. And so that's partly to make those long trips comfortable. Uh, we call it the golden archways because it costs us a lot of drag. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we, you know, we realized uh, we were really designing for a customer that's used to getting on, you know, a JetBlue flight or a Southwest flight. And, and going to sleep and then waking up on the, on, at their destination. And yep. if they can get up and stand up and go use the bathroom on those planes, and we're going to charge a little bit more, then they have to be able to get up and stand up and go use, and stretch and use the bathroom on our planes. Um, so, so that's that. The, the, we are changing a lot about the experience, and that's intentional. Um, our, our experience has to be sticky. It has to make you want to come back. The plane itself, though, is 70% off the shelf. And we, you know, like I said, we, we change things. What we really change is the market that we're going after. Most private jets are going after owner pilots. It sounds like you're you know, creating your own market, or to be honest with you, it's like an iPhone uh, with wings. Right, right, right. That's the, <laughs> we call it the iPod shuffle of private jets, right? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, but, but, but the actual parts of the plane are, are really mostly off the shelf. And that's really because we want to make sure this is as safe as possible. So we only really changing the fuel system and the, um, and we're actually using the same autopilot that's normally flying an aircraft, but we control, mm -hmm. but we built as a way to control that autopilot from the ground. And there's a few software changes that you have to have, you know, in case you lose a satellite link, what do you do? Um, yep. Yep. So everything else on the plane is basically the same thing you would find on any other private jet. Um, and that's intentional. So, so yeah, we're changing the experience and we're changing the market that we're going after. That market, by the way, is $120 billion per year. So that's four times larger than all of private jet travel. So that includes Gulfstream, yep. Cessna, Cessna, all those guys put together. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about a third of business travel between U.S. and Europe. So, um, you know, and that's why we can do a venture capital-backed company, right? The, the market is so big that yep. um, we can justify spending uh, what we need to spend to, to, to get there. So, um, we really changed the market that we went after, and that was, you know, based on looking at a lot of data and looking, understanding consumer behavior, you know, just through interviews and things like that, and. Um, but the airplane is relatively this relatively similar, and I'd say we more, more so cut stuff out. So our airplane carries two people with two seats, mm -hmm. a very light jet like the Phenom 100 or the Embraer, sorry, mm -hmm. Embraer Phenom 100 or the Cessna Mustang, like those those do the same mission, but they've got six seats on board. Uh, they've got two engines. We've got one engine. Um, you know, th there's just a lot of extra airplane that you didn't really need for for what yep. most business travelers are trying to accomplish. And we cut a lot of that out. So in that way, it is, it is a change. But we wouldn't replace, we're not really replacing it with much new stuff. So we have really direct off-the-shelf strategy. 
um, and really only building the things that we need to build new, new, so to speak. Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not really kind of a toy that I buy as, as, you know, as an executive of a company that I want my own toy to fly with is literally a tool that I can use for my business and, and, you know, travel needs mm -hmm. nationwide. And, and I assume you guys are going to expand to Europe as well in the future. But let's talk about safety for a minute because it's really, really a big subject in our industry. Mm -hmm. You talk about, you know, you have a satellite problem, how you take over the jet. So could you talk a little bit more about the safety mechanism that you have on this type of aircraft? Absolutely. So, so we started out when, this, when we realized this idea that we need to have a remote pilot to actually hit the unit economics that the airlines had. Um, we did not believe the FAA would let us certify something that was less safe than what the airlines have, right? We just didn't believe that. So we set out to say in the beginning, we want to be a thousand times safer than a charter, a manned charter operation with two engines. And so when we look at the data of the Air Force drone crashes, it was nowhere near that. It was actually about seven, a thousand times worse, give or take, um, depending on what you, so if you look at a, a manned combat jet versus an unmanned you know, combat aircraft, unmanned combat across a thousand times worse and then two pilots is about one and a half times better than having one pilot so so the first thing we had to figure out was how do you get the unmanned aircraft to be the same level of safety as the manned aircraft and then the second step was how do you figure out how to get them that 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 once you have the equivalent level of safety how do you actually improve upon that so the first step was uh, having redundancy so part 23 regulations are much more stringent than the military's certification certification regulations so mm -hmm. that really means having redundancy having backup generators on the engine so if you lose power on a regular plane, you're fine because you can just, you know, steer it around. But if you lose power on a remotely piloted aircraft, it's all over, right? Because there's nothing to power, there's nothing to tell the engine what to do, so the engine shuts down. And there's that was a lot of causes a lot of crashes that we found. Uh, situational awareness, um, not having enough cameras on the plane, or not having the pilot know where they are. Uh, so we we're building in all of the databases, you know, terrain awareness that that uh, normal aircraft has. Um, so. So just bringing the stand, bringing those unmanned aircraft up to the Part 23 standards, that's actually got rid of a lot of the safety issues that we found with the unmanned aircraft. Um, and then the next question is, how do you make it actually safer? So, yep. um, so I will take the Sully Sullenberger kind of incident. So, so those, so we actually do that calculation. If you lose an engine out, like where do you go? We do that calculation every single second. Um, yep. And there's always a button that you can press, okay, land here, and we know how far the aircraft can glide and things like that. So we speed up those kind of calculations. Uh, two, um, you know, we have infrared cameras on, on board that can see things like turbulence uh, or, 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 you know, just have a better visual situational awareness than just an optical camera would with or a human eye would. So we still have a human on, on the ground that can actually intervene, but we're adding better sensors to do that. And the last part, which I think you know, affected both Air France 449 and the 737 max crashes is sensor cross-checking. So that means if you get a bad airspeed or you get a bad AOA uh, reading, how do you know that you got a bad one? And then what do you do when you know you've got a bad one? So um, on a normal aircraft, when the captain's or co-pilot sees, they have two different airspeed readings. They, there's a warning that says airspeed disagree. Uh, and there's a procedure for dealing with that. Um, we do something that's really more based on uh, RNP, which is kind of how, where you, Required navigation precision. So we have kind of a required uh, instrument precision. So that says essentially, could my airspeed be this actual airspeed based on where I've been in the last you know 10 minutes and what the aircraft has been doing and the other things that I can verify. 
And then so we have, we know what the possible error of the airspeed is. And if it exceeds that, then we know something's wrong. And then we also have some redundancy built in for that. So, so sensor redundancy, um, you know, increased, you know, and better sensors and sensor redundancy is kind of how we get beyond the current level of safety, which is actually pretty good. Um, there were zero crashes last year. So, <laughs> you know, it's good to be at zero, um, but you can also, but there are incidents, right? So you can reduce those incidents. And if you can see, you know, those, those public, those reports are public. I think that's a healthy thing um, because the entire industry can really see. And I think sensor cross-checking. So, so what are the, how does the max know if that sensor is bad um, before the pilots have to intervene? Like that's the thing that we're adding that we think is novel. Um, and then when you, you know, when you lose the link, I, I can't talk too much about our strategy because um, yeah. it's you know, something that we really work hard to come up with, but let's just say the aircraft can talk to traffic control on its own, you know, kind of like a Siri would talk to you, talk, talk, talk back to you. So we have an AI that we've built that um, actually talks to traffic control directly through VHF. There's no other link needed and it can actually understand your traffic control instructions and, 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 and obey them. So our autopilot has kind of a voice interface to it. Um, and there was a lot of research that went into that and how it actually, how to implement it is, is really proprietary, but um, we've got a solution that we believe in and the onus is on us to prove that that, that it works. So we'll hopefully get to do that in the next couple of years. Um, so we have a, we want to be in market 2023, yeah. so two years of development, two years of certification. And in the next two years, you'll be able to see publicly what we've built. And um, I think you'll be quite impressed. Um, so, so yeah, we've, We've built a plan that behaves like a human when the link is gone, and um, and we've you know done the calculations to, to kind of ensure where can you turn back, so there's no kind of wondering what to do. And so um, yeah, so those are the ways that we've tried to improve upon the level of safety that we have. And like I said, our our case is to prove, be a thousand times safer, uh, and then we want to prove that. That's our case to the FAA, and that's a case to you as a consumer. Yeah, hundred percent. It, it, you talked a little bit about, about the timeline, so, so I'm not going to ask you again about it, but you have a mm -hmm. very, very unique business model. In fact, you offer, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly, three types of uh, purchasing options, which is you know, the charter flight, the membership, mm -hmm. the aircraft itself. Would you mind letting us know a little bit more about how much each of them costs and when they're going to be available? Absolutely. So um, we have, I always say, Overall, we have a membership model, which means you pay a membership and then you get access to the fleet. And then when you use a fleet, you pay uh, for the uh, uh, hourly time. So it's very similar to being in a flying club or, or if you rented a car, you might pay for the car for a certain number of days and then you pay for the gas, right? So very similar idea. Um, the options are as follows. So if you want to kind of have an introductory option, it's like a thousand dollars. That's discounted right now. So it should be about double that, but we've discounted it early on. And that will give you about five days of time on the private jet. And then each hour is about $350 per, per flight hour that you actually fly. So you could you could take the jet fly for one hour, leave it there while you're on vacation and then fly back. And you would pay for two hours, but then you might pay for you know four or five days of yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and the idea is to give you the freedom to say, okay, if I wanted to go fly someplace else in the middle of my vacation, I can do that. So it's kind of like having a car, but it's really a plane at your disposal. Uh, the second option, well, I really, really, really there's, the second option is just really a longer period of time in, the, in a lower, bigger discount. So you can get put it in a, you know, 100K and you can have like a lot more time. I think it's like 35 days. So it's like a, that's usually, that's more, that's usually enough for someone to have for about a year or six, six, six to nine months of time. Um, most people travel about once per month by air if they're working um, or once every two months approximately. So that's like, that's like three years worth of uh, time. Um, 
the last and 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 this really work these first two options really work if you're in a metropolitan area where we have a lot of aircraft so we essentially every area that we're going to serve has as a base has about 20 airplanes that we sell out for revenue and then we have a 21st aircraft that we use as a spare um so let's say you're in the middle of like like let's say you're in tennessee or you're in you know somewhere in texas like lubbock texas where there's not a big population uh, the third option we have is a dedicated plane. So that's that's very close to buying a plane and having a flight department. So you actually pay about, I think, so start, it's also a 100K deposit, but it's about $3 million at, at the, by the time that your crop is delivered. So you pay in, in increments. And then the, we put a plane at your airport and it's there for you. Um, we still own the plane, but you get a share of the revenue from that plane. So it kind of balances up the tax rate you might get if you own the plane yourself. And then you also have access to our spare fleet. So if, if your plane has maintenance has maintenance issue, we'll fly one of our spare ones out there to greet you, to meet you. And um, that's just this, that's essentially the same thing as having your own flight department. So if most of private jet travel at the small level is like small businesses in the Midwest that are traveling around to do business, look at a plan or something like that. And so that's a really great solution for them. Or if you you know if you are what we've what we've really enabled is, is for an even smaller business to have that you know, level of productivity. So if you're a little bit too small for, you know, a Pilatus or a CJ3, um, but you still benefit from the productivity, you can really, our option is really attractive. Um, you know, it's in, in, and for those customers, it's really kind of like a flying office, right? So it's like your own, my co-founder likes to say it's their own Air Force One. Uh, so there's very fast Wi-Fi on board. Uh, everything you need that you have in your own office will be there. Um, so there's a galley with drinks and beverages. There's, you know, like I said, you can video conference. Um, talk to your kids if you wanted to. So, uh, so that, that option is really great introductory option for those who are stuck with the commercial level of service, but really need to really benefit productivity wise and grow, the, and grow their business with dedicated private jet. Yeah, John, what can I say? It's, it's all sound super amazing and exciting. Uh, when is going to be the, the first time where we can actually go and, and see the aircraft in terms of time? So, I think, I think uh, late 2021, early 2022, um, probably when we'll be able to see it publicly. Yep. Um, it all depends on. Well, we're fundraising now, so so it depends on when we close that. Uh, but but the people who are actually building it and like there, that's a two-year project. All of our suppliers are signed on to that. So we've got about six yep. of them. They cover, you know, their dynamic analysis, structural analysis. You have some amazing, amazing partners working with you as well. Yeah. Amazing. So, so yeah, I would like to say, like, our company is really like the architect and the integrator, um, but we're really relying on the people who've established themselves in the supply chain to really build out the uh, the, the actual physical airplane and supplies, the engine and the avionics and things like that. So, so it's a two-year project. Um, it'll I, the real answer is like it'll start from two years when I when I close the funding. So yep. So it's really is on me to figure that that done, and um, that's when you'll be able to see it. Now you can go on our website and see what it looks like and see how cool it is, and you can prepay for it your membership. Very cool. It is very. That cool. makes it go a little name? faster. Uh, <laughs> the more if you could do that. So, um, and and I should I should say so. On the membership issue, uh, we are well aware of what happened with Eclipse. Um, and, and so what we've done is we've, if you read in the kind of really detailed description, we've got equity backed options for that membership. So that means let's, let's say you buy this membership and, and we don't make it right. In our case, you would actually, it's almost like an angel investment. So you would own part of the company for, as equity 
and and all the people who who have equity in the company as customers, you know, have representative that exercises oversight over our business. And if we don't make it, you know, we're, we liquidate. You get your you're 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 just like any other shareholder. Um, and like I said, if you are going to the third option where you have the aircraft, a whole aircraft dedicated plane, you get to share in the revenue of the company when it's when it's done. So it's so it's yeah. you know almost like a dividend. Um, so there's a safe buy basically. It's a safe buy. You have a, right, right. And if we you know so if we take too long, you know you're a shareholder, so you can exercise your rights just like a shareholder would. What we realize is that a lot of these companies are just they're they're designed to reward shareholders, not necessarily designed to reward customers or employees. So what we realize. Is we, we if, but we need our customers to succeed, right? And we are, and we really did serve our customers. Yeah. So we decided to make our customers our shareholders in the you know in the development process. And um, and our hope is that that arrangement gives customers a little bit more transparency and a little bit more insurance with their investment, rather than just you know here's some money eclipse. You look like you have cool pictures, so I believe in you. Uh, and, and you know we like I said we've. That's, that's more adjusting that, but it's a really important part of our value proposition, um, especially in the pre-sale period. Yeah, which is very unique in getting a lot of people on board, not just with, you mm -hmm. know, I like this aircraft, I see the value in it and I want to own it because it's make financial sense, it's answer all my needs, but also you can keep them on board with the company and the feedback and the growth of the company. What can we do better, not just as a consumer, but also as an investor, as a shareholder in the company. Um, mm -hmm. John, Truly amazing. I mean, just to hear you know, hear you speak and see the the deep knowledge you have and the expertise you have in the industry and the vision of the company and where you guys are headed. How people can contact you if they want to learn more, if they want to collaborate with you, you want to purchase the aircraft. What would be the best contact information? To contact you? So, so the best way is to go to our website and there's there's three options there. You can just fill out a normal contact form and I'll respond by email. Uh, two, uh, there's a live chat, so you can actually type us your questions in a text message, and we'll get and we'll respond back immediately. when we're awake. Um, and then the third option. Twenty-four seven, three sixty-five. Yeah, yeah. The third option is you can schedule a phone meeting with us. So you can actually go on there and click a link, and then you pick your pick your time, and then we'll we'll give you a call at that time. Um, so however you prefer to communicate, we'll accommodate that request, and and we'll happy to talk you through more of the details of our product and what. It can do for you right amazing so john again i want to thank you so much for this um, podcast for this interview um it's truly truly amazing what you guys are doing it's so unique um looking forward to, to you know to see it all come together thank you so much thank you so much thanks for having us this is great and uh thanks for the platform to kind of talk about the future and uh, i hope all of your all of you out there enjoyed it as well thank you john